Hey everybody, welcome to the Quacks Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Have a special episode for you, a little bit longer than normal because I want to dive into a really interesting subject. I read David Sinclair's book uh, called Aging, uh, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. Uh, it's a very popular book in online circles, and I wanted to do a review of it because this book is going to be a part of the zeitgeist for a while. It's going to be around. Um, people are using recommendations from his book and having, you know, what it, from what it seems, subjectively good experiences. You know, many wealthy people are practicing some of his recommendations. In fact, if you didn't know, uh, a majority of wealthy people are absolutely obsessed with anti-aging therapies. Um, they're, they're on top. They want to stay on top. So let's dive into this book. So the first half of the book delves into the nitty-gritty of David's research on aging. Uh, the second half of the book is about how we should change the world to make everything better, given this research on aging. So the first half is actually pretty interesting, and it weaves a very compelling story. Uh, David's main contention, and I like this idea a lot because of how rooted it is in changing medical perception, is that aging is a disease all on its own, and there are things that we can do that will cure this disease just like any other disease. You know, at the moment, doctors treat aging as a natural process, and they really don't have many tools to fight it. They just manage it. And yet aging makes every other disease so much worse. You know, whether it's heart disease or diabetes, aging is definitely a co-founding factor. So as a young PhD student, uh, David was very interested in what made organisms age. And he investigated this on a genetic level. He found, like many others have, that aging is not just a human condition, uh, but it affects almost all other species. Not only that, it looks very similar across species on a genetic level. There are, in fact, nine different things that David's lab has said are signs or symptoms of aging that they have observed that are shared across many species. Uh, so those nine things are mitochondrial dysfunction, genomic instability caused by DNA damage, telomere shortening, uh, epigenomic alterations, loss of proteostasis, I don't know what that one is, uh, deregulated nutrient sensing, accumulation of senescent zombie-like cells that inflame healthy cells, stem cell exhaustion, and altered intracellular communication and the production of inflammatory molecules. Now, we're not going to go through each one of these, but they are shared by most living species on Earth. So, by David's reasoning, because they're shared, Aging is something that, that must be rooted deep in our past, in our evolutionary past. So he takes a trip back in time, about 200 million years or so, to a single-celled organism, uh, which theoretically they have handed down their DNA to us. Now, these organisms were faced with a constant choice, either reproduce on one hand or repair the DNA that becomes broken in the process of living. See, the theory is that you know, these single-celled organisms evolved in such a way that they only had enough energy to, energy to do one or the other. You know, you, they have to choose. Kind of like you only have enough energy in the day for so many tasks before you get tired and you need to rest. So these organisms would have to choose whether to be in reproduction mode or DNA repair mode or maybe some other function. I'm not sure. Uh, they wouldn't have enough energy for everything. And when they weren't in reproduction mode, 
but they were doing the DNA repair mode, they would toggle on all these anti-aging switches, which would, you know, renew cells, uh, get the DNA looking nice, you know, everything functioning properly again. So if as humans, we can turn these anti-aging switches on, our genetic code can be repaired, meaning our telomeres, which are shortening, those can be lengthened. Those are the ends of genetic code that uh, keep it stable so that when it's splitting, it can be uh, lengthened without messing up the, the DNA itself. Um, stem cells can be renewed. Uh, and so just across the board, all these different anti-aging effects can occur. Theoretically, it is possible that there is one master switch that can roll back those nine signs of aging. But there is a limit to how much energy any organism has for that switch. And when reproduction is turned on, the organism does not have the energy to anti-age itself. I should say when cellular reproduction is turned on. Um, because as a side note, this fits very nicely with Taoist theories on semen retention extending your life. But, you know, maybe I'll, I'll talk about that in another podcast. <laughs> so... How do we actually age? Well, David presents what is called the information theory of aging, which says that cells forget who they are over time. Now, this is really interesting. Every cell in your body has the same DNA, right? But what distinguishes a nerve cell from a liver cell is what, what is called gen, uh, epigenetic information. So this epigenetic information is what tells a certain cell that its job is to be a brain cell and not stomach lining. Over time, we lose that epigenetic, gosh, I can't say that word, epigenetic information, <laughs> and cells, they have less of an identity. So a nerve cell, it kind of stops being quite so much a nerve cell. It, it loses its identity. It doesn't work as well as it used to. So this is the, the information theory of aging. So to give an example... Imagine sending a letter that you typed out on an old typewriter, which has a carbon copy. So you type up this letter and it looks good, you know, no problems. But when you send it in the mail and it goes through a hailstorm, it goes across the ocean, through a desert, when it gets to its destination, the information of the letter, it's all scrambled up. You know, the letter is hard to read. So in other words, to make this analogy to aging, you have all this information in your cells as a child. That's when the letter's brand new. And after life has tossed you around in the storm, well, that, that's when you get to 80 years old, you've lost all that information, which is the letter, you know, getting to its destination. The big payoff for David is finding and utilizing the original carbon copy backup of the information that you had as a child. With that copy, you can restore the information of the letter, meaning you can reset the aging clock, almost like, you know, the letter is totally brand new. And if we can do that, well, you can roll back the clock on Alzheimer's, cancer, Parkinson's, heart disease, diabetes, all the diseases that are worsened by aging, which is basically all of them. So sounds pretty cool. Huh? I mean, it's it's very much a fountain of youth kind of idea, which makes it very alluring and, and marketable. Um, you know, we're going to find this key in our genetics, and this key is going to unlock immortality. <laughs> My sales brain is, like, turned on by how good that, that scientific marketing is, because it is effective. But how does he propose that this is all done? Well, David and other researchers found three genetic markers that they believe if targeted, will make the organism live longer. Those are sirtuins, mTOR, and AMPK. 
And we'll go through each one of those, but sirtuins are probably the most important and controversial, so I'll leave those to the end. First is mTOR. mTOR is a gene pathway that is activated when you eat protein. So it signals your cells to grow. It's kind of like the body saying, you know, we got plenty of food available, let the good times roll, grow, you know, be merry, all things are good. So mTOR can increase mitochondrial biosynthesis and ATP generation, which is very good, you know, more energy, that's great. But it also creates lots of junk proteins that can kind of clog up our cells and make them not work as well. Uh, You can imagine bodybuilders who are building muscle all the time, they're activating this pathway a lot. Um, And the muscle growth that's going on is in part due to mTOR. But bodybuilders often age quite quickly. Perhaps, Perhaps that's from all this cellular junk that is created. So if mTOR is on and constantly signaling your cells to grow, you get too much junk proteins and you don't get the repair factors activated. Too much mTOR is in fact associated with many diseases, things like lung cancer, uh, obesity, acne, type 2 diabetes, depression, neurodegeneration. Um, So it's not something you want to overactivate. Things that activate mTOR and are therefore bad in David's world are excessive calories, excessive carbs and protein, insulin, testosterone, thyroid hormone, oxygen, ketamine, and IGF-1. That's uh, another hormone there. Things that inhibit mTOR, so these would be good in David's book, are protein and calorie restriction, uh, intermittent fasting, exercise, stress hormones like cortisol, NAC, resveratrol, uh, aspirin, omega-3s, olive oil, caffeine, alcohol, turmeric, pomegranate, reishi mushroom, milk thistle, astragalus. It's it's actually a really long list. Um, So I bet that you could figure out if you have too much or too little mTOR by seeing which list makes you feel good because it's the extremes of mTOR that, that seem bad. Uh, like all the things on this list that activate mTOR, they make me feel good. <laughs> like thyroid and carbs, I love those. Uh, the things on the inhibiting mTOR list, they make me feel bad with some exceptions. So uh, AMPK is next. That is an energy sensing enzyme that detects how much energy is available within cells. When there is low energy available, it activates and does a lot of different things in the body. Uh, Things like decrease inflammation, uh, stimulate metabolism, improve insulin sensitivity, improve muscle performance. Things that activate AMPK are a lot of the same things that deactivate mTOR. So exercise, calorie restriction, resveratrol, uh, curcumin, olive oil, omega-3s. But it also has some additional things uh, like nicotine, berberine, cold exposure, alpha lipoic acid. Again, it's a really long list and I'll have it in the show notes if you're interested, but it's kind of the same thing going through all these. So let's get to sirtuins. Sirtuins are proteins that are able to repair genetic damage. And David's research into sirtuins is really what first put him on the map and made him a very rich man and put his, put, put his whole theory out there. So he studied resveratrol, which if you don't know, that's a a polyphenol that comes from uh, red wine Uh, And it is a sirtuin activator. So in his studies, he gives resveratrol to yeast because yeast is very easy to control and it has a fairly rapid life cycle. You can test different anti-aging compounds without having to wait years. I mean, if you imagine if you're testing, you know, anti-aging therapies, even on mice, it could be years before you know 
whether what you're giving them is working or not. So, I mean, some mice live, you know, three years, four years, five years. It could be quite a while. So having yeast be your test medium is really advantageous. And what he found is that when yeast ages, its genetics lose cohesion and the cell begins to act old and fall apart, just like everybody ages. By giving yeast the resveratrol, the sirtuins repaired the genetic damage and kept the genetic code in good shape. So instead of the yeast living, you know, through 25 or so reproductive cycles, it would live to 35 reproductive cycles. And so David then extrapolated that to humans and said, well, dang, we can start living to 150 years old with just resveratrol. Problem is, uh, resveratrol doesn't actually work that well. It's it's actually kind of ineffective. Um, in 2004, David co-founded a company called Sertris, which was testing resveratrol. He said in an interview with the journal Science that it was as close to a miraculous molecule as you can find. How's that for some marketing, man? Good old David. He's, he's got some skills there. So this prompted GlaxoSmithKline to buy the company in 2008 for a quarter of a billion dollars. Quarter of a billion. <laughs> this netted David, uh, I think, a nice, nice little payout. Uh, I think it was around $8 million. And he got an ongoing consulting fee as well. But... When Glaxo continued doing research on this resveratrol that they had bought for a quarter of a billion dollars, they found that the results were just extremely underwhelming. You know, it, it caused possible side effects as well. So in just two years, they halted all research that they were doing on it. By 2010, they just chalked it up as a failure. But the question is why? You know, it seemed to work on yeast. So why didn't it work on humans? Well, Ray Pete has a great paper on resveratrol. In it, he points out a few things. He points out that resveratrol is actually a fungicide. And so it has a unique effect on yeast that doesn't transfer over into humans in the same way. Resveratrol is what is called a stilbin or stilbene, not quite sure. Uh, but it's similar in chemical structure to diethylstilbestrol, DES, which is a famously toxic carcinogenic pharmaceutical that was used as a synthetic estrogen in the 1940s and 1970s in pregnant women. <laughs> um, this is one of those stories that is just an example of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. So they prescribed DES to pregnant women to prevent miscarriage, uh, premature labor, and you know related complications of pregnancy, whatever. But then they found out much later in the 50s and 60s that it gave women cervical cancer and it is now considered an endocrine disrupting chemical that causes cancer and birth defects so i gotta tell you it's not always the best idea to be on the cutting edge of some new treatment cough covid vaccine cough cough anyways uh so resveratrol there are studies showing that resveratrol is estrogenic and it hurts mitochondrial function. So it doesn't seem like a great idea, but there are other things that activate these sirtuins, which may not be estrogenic. Now, the list looks very similar to mTOR and AMPK, uh, things like exercise, calorie restriction, curcumin, berberine, nicotine, quercetin, cold temperatures, saunas, uh, there's also things that decrease cert as well. Uh, the one there's a list of them, but the one I thought that was really interesting was melatonin. So melatonin decreases cert, and many people take melatonin these days for sleep. So it might not be a great idea, in actuality. Uh, 
So as you can see from these lists of these three genetic uh, things that David discovered, there's a theme to this anti-aging stuff, which is do things that increase stress in the short term and lower energy production so that the body will respond with anti-aging effects, anti-aging genetic stuff. So this theme is, is really big right now. Um, it stretches from the natural world and even into the pharmaceutical world. It's, it's really all-encompassing. Uh, fasting, keto, intermittent fasting, cold exposure, hormesis, all that kind of stuff. And it's this idea that lowering energy and slowing the life process is life-promoting. And David, David's right here to continue this claim. So one of the things that David found is that sirtuins are dependent on something called NAD, which is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, which you can think of as basically fuel for the sirtuins. So the sirtuins, they fix the DNA, but they need energy from NAD, NAD to do their work. Uh, NAD doesn't just help the sirtuins, uh, though. I mean, it, that's not its only job, I should say. It's a key component of ATP, uh, energy generation, lots of different enzyme reactions are aided by NAD. So it's used all over the body, and it is a sign of youth, and it is a sign of health. Um, so after this resveratrol research died in a dumpster fire, David started looking into chemicals that would boost NAD. This was kind of like the newer thing that, that he got onto. And I think this is where David actually has a solid idea. Uh, because people who would criticize David's theories on genetics and aging, and they have good criticisms, people like Ray Pete or whatever, they actually agree that boosting NAD seems to be an untrammeled good thing. See, aging, aging is a positive feedback loop, which means it's not linear. Once it starts in earnest, it accelerates. NAD feeds the anti-aging mechanisms, like possibly CERT and some of these other genes. So then our bodies can use that to repair themselves. As we age, the NAD levels, they fall, which means we have less energy and we get worse at repairing DNA and damaged cells. This damage then accumulates and further damages our ability to create NAD and to resist damages. And so there's, there's kind of like this vicious cycle. Nature really made us to be pretty strong for most of our life, like pretty adaptable and able to take on whatever challenges that life throws at us. And then right at the end, just to drop off like a cliff, <laughs> just to, just to crash really fast. <laughs> and so the, the whole concept, you know, when I was reading about this, the concept that came to mind is the idea that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, um, which is it's better to prevent something from going wrong than have something go wrong and then trying to fix it. It's better to prevent aging than to try and make the old young again. It's much more difficult. So there's still a lot of research to be done on NAD, uh, but NAD boosters do seem to be very promising with very few side effects, uh, insomnia being one of those side effects. So there's several NAD boosters that you can choose from if you want to try them. Uh, there is vitamin B3 in its different forms, so niacin and niacinamide. 
These both will boost NAD. Uh, I've used them a lot in the past, quite extensively. Uh, niacinamide was a big help to me when I was trying to get to sleep when I lived in the EMF hotel. Uh, although I do believe it, it does cause weight gain and it has some bad effects at higher dosages, uh, but it was a super help to me. But the NAD boosters that David likes are ones that I haven't tried. No, So those are NR and NMN. NR stands for nicotinamide riboside, and NMN stands for nicotinamide mononucleotide. So these both, uh, they have a lot of potential for a lot of diseases and just general overall health. So I decided, you know, I'm going to try this stuff out and see how it goes, like all my podcasts. (laughs) So I tried NMN for about a week. Uh, I bought a couple different manufacturers off Amazon, 125 milligrams or 150 milligram capsules. David recommends a thousand milligrams of NMN per day. Uh, but I wanted to try a lower dose first, especially if insomnia is a side effect. And I did experience that sadly, but so I started at 250 milligrams per day and I noticed a very nice boost of energy on the first day. Uh, my voice felt stronger. It felt deeper. My mind seemed faster. My concentration was better. So I was very excited at how great I felt on this. And I thought, wow, this is, this is something else. It was quite different than niacinamide because I, like I said, I'd used niacinamide in the past, which is another NAD booster. So theoretically they should have similar effects. Um, but it was much different because I used to take niacinamide to go to sleep at night. It would relax me. It would boost my mood. It'd just kind of give me this warm, fuzzy feeling and I'd fall asleep. NMN was totally different. Uh, there's no way I would be able to take NMN before going to sleep. It was just, it was such an energy booster. You know, you had to take it in the morning, but like I said, like all my experience experiments these days, it seems, uh, my sleep was affected the first night. Uh, I had very intense dreams, but everything was fine. The second day I increased the dosage to 375 milligrams and I woke up around 5am and couldn't fall back to sleep. I tried that again the next day, woke up at 4:30 couldn't fall back to sleep. I went back down to 125 milligrams. Um, then I think I woke up at 4am, couldn't get back to sleep. So I, you know, I could probably stabilize, I think around 125 milligrams and take that continuously, but I'd still be waking up at 5am. And I usually like to go to sleep and, and wake up until six, at least six, at least, you know, before that, it's just, uh, just hurts. Anyway, in conclusion to that promising stuff at lower dosages for me, but not great. Um, But my next experiment, that was to try the really good stuff. And when I say really good, I'm talking NAD as an IV, like right into the veins, baby. Now, NAD as an IV is a couple things about it. First, it's super expensive. It is normally a dollar per milligram. And sometimes people do 1,000 milligrams or 1,200 milligrams. So can you imagine dropping $1,000 on an IV bag? (laughs) I can't. No thanks. Luckily, I was able to find a personal connection at AZ IV Medics who gave me a promotional deal. Uh, They were really cool. If you are in Arizona, you know, go check them out. They were very nice. The weird thing about NAD as an IV is that it can be very painful. <laughs> so NAD is like pure cellular energy and your cells, they when they detect it in your blood, they want to eat it up really fast. It's almost like hungry, hungry hippos. Imagine, imagine that old game from the 90s. Now, NAD isn't a stimulant. It's not like cocaine or caffeine, which whip your cells into working harder. Uh, it's like 
the energy that your cells will use when they are being whipped into working harder. So when it's injected into you, your cells gobble it up. And in the process of taking it up, they use oxygen very rapidly. And this causes all kinds of painful symptoms. Things like gasping for air, uh, feeling like you're having a heart attack, nausea. I mean, it's, it can get a little rough. So to combat this, most places that give IVs of NAD, they do it over many hours, so it isn't too comfortable. They'll give you anti-nausea meds. Um, you know, they may give you 1,200 milligrams, like a bag of NAD, over six to eight hours. So they really do a lot to, you know, make sure it's more comfortable. But screw that. I'm no Nancy. I wanted to see what this stuff could do. So I slammed uh, 500 milligrams in about 40 mil- minutes and man, did I regret every minute of that. (laughs) The best description I can find is that it's kind of like getting kicked in the balls really hard. So you get this nauseous feeling in your gut. Not like you want to throw up. It's, It's not like that. It's not like you're like, oh my gosh, like seasick. It's like you just get this feeling like you drank a lot of sugar really, really fast. And so you just feel like, oh, like just nauseous. And while that's going on, you are gasping for air and all your limbs are falling asleep. (laughs) Oh, and and my heart rate spiked from 75 to 130 and my blood pressure spiked from 100 over 70 to 120 over 90. I kind of felt like my heart was beating out of my chest. So really for, for 40 minutes or so, I just writhed in this chair. I just was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? This hurts. What the hell? It was just, it was, it was brutal. It was not fun. But there was a payoff. I know you may be asking, Lucas, we thank you for your sacrifice to science, but why are you doing this? What is, what is the point? Well, the crazy thing about this stuff is as soon as you stop having it flow into you, all those symptoms disappear and you just get this wonderful feeling of energy and well-being. In fact, during the IV, I, would, I had control of the little inflow valve. I would shut the inflow valve to off, and it was like magic. I would feel great. And then I would turn it back on, and the nut pounding would continue. <laughs> you know, another good description of this IV that, that just came to mind is uh, when I was a freshman in high school, and I tried out for the football team doing wind sprints in the summer outside until you puked. That's a very similar experience. That, that's very similar. Uh, and some people call NAD kind of like exercise in a bottle, exercise in an IV, because it feels so much like that. So imagine just a time when you did a boot camp or something like that, just when you were pushing it all out and all your muscles were like just on fire, your stomach was heaving. That's NAD right there. Anyways, the nut pounding, it might be worth it. The results of NAD infusions are really compelling, uh, way more compelling than NMN or NR, which I just mentioned, which, you know, you may have to take those for months to get the same kind of NAD boost that one of these IV bags will give you. And these IVs, they're being used for all kinds of things. Uh, there are people who say that 1200 milligrams of NAD is like a spiritual experience where your mind and your consciousness open up. Uh, One of the uses of NAD is actually at clinics that deal with addiction. So you pump people full of this NAD, and many of them report in having no desire to take (laughs) drugs. They have no desire to take their drugs anymore because they're getting kicked in the nads. No. You pump people full of this NAD, and... um, you know, they, their addiction goes away. They, they feel so good afterwards that they are no longer addicted. So I think it is worth noting 
because it, it points to the disease of addiction that it might actually just be a lack of cellular energy. And the addiction part, that is just a response by the organism to lower stress and restore the energetic capacity of the cell in any way that it can. So almost like the addiction is a symptom of an underlying cause that is a lack of cellular NAD, a lack of energy. So, I mean, I, I think it would be a paradigm shift of all paradigm shifts if NAD IVs made antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, and addiction treatment just made all those obsolete. But I think it's possible. I think it is definitely something on the menu. So, uh, after I finished the IV, uh, for the rest of the day, I, I did have pretty good energy. I was expecting like a lot more energy, like almost fidgety, but I, I didn't have that. It's not like caffeine or any kind of stimulant. It's, it's just kind of makes you feel strong. Uh, where I really noticed a difference was in brain power. It was kind of scary how fast my brain was working. I was thinking really fast and not the kind of scatterbrained, overstimulated fast way where you're just kind of all over the place. My brain was like a focused hammer and I was hammering anything and everything to the point where at the end of the day, I, I had a headache. I was a bit worried that I'd cranked the brain power dial just like too much. You know, I'd broken something. I'd gone to 11 too, too far, but I was fine the next day. So it was all good. Uh, my sleep was just okay that night. I think I felt energetic, upbeat, and smarter for maybe about a week or so. It's hard to tell uh, as it wore off. I do think my face looked a bit younger and my skin a bit tighter. But, you know, that may have been just my imagination. It's it's really hard to tell. Uh, if I did it again, I could probably get a better idea of its effects. And thankfully, the more you do it, the less it hurts, which is kind of cool. Apparently, the pain of it is your lack of it. So if you have a lot of NAD in your system, it's not going to hurt so bad to, you know, get injected with it. Anyway, that was my experience with uh, the NAD IV. If you get it, let me know what you think. I'd be curious to hear what your examples are because, you know... I guess people feel differently on these things. So anyway, let's finish the review of the book and get this episode wrapped up. Uh, the second half of the book, let's talk about this because I did not enjoy it and I had a hard time listening to it. So he came across as very positive and optimistic in the second half. Uh, he described, you know, how we can tackle worldwide problems, things like global warming, disease, hunger. And we can do this by using genetically modified foods, vaccines, getting people onto plant-based diets versus meat-based diets, and even other kind of more horrifying medical procedures that he likes, things like implants, getting plugged into a network, you know, to monitor you. The problem is the complexity of the systems that he is describing, maybe it's just me and, and my jaded view from all the research I've done on the show, but the usual outcome of medical advancement is unintended consequence. It, it, the usual outcome is failure. So if you take out let's take out antibiotics, uh, blood transfusions, uh, just like, like the, the big top treatments that really have extended our lifespan. And if you just look at the, the record of medicine without those few big things, so like three or four things you take out, well, it is a charnel house of horrors. Most people would look at that record and say, that, that's not worth it. You know, we're killing and maiming way more than we are helping. Bad idea. And from reading between the lines, he would really have no problem in using government to mandate his ideas. You know, nowhere does he say, uh, but of course, you know, these will all be up to people's individual choice and consent as laid out in the Nuremberg Code. Like, he doesn't say that. So 
I think he has a bit of a case of the hubris and some of his positivity and his optimism. It's not so much around these ideas of his, you know, that many other wealthy elites share. I think that positivity is more around being the one who gets to institute these ideas of his. <laughs> kind of like, you know, I'm super positive and excited about being the one who gets to experiment on you. <laughs> but I will give him credit. Uh, he takes resveratrol. He takes NMN. He takes metformin every day. Uh, he eats a plant-based diet, doesn't eat meat. I mean, he, so he would probably be the first one to sign up for some Borg implant, you know, that would connect you to the hive mind or whatever. They're just, they're just, they're going to run into the same problems that Soviet economists ran into when they try to control an economy. The system that they are working with, that they're tweaking with, it's so complicated. Uh, it's almost impossible to map second order effects or third order effects or, you know, beyond that. It would be like, for example, Say you have a machine that has 50 buttons and you don't know what any of the buttons do. And a scientist is going to figure out what these buttons do. So he'd start mapping the buttons. He'd push a button, observe, make theories, test, and he'd slowly get an idea of how the machine works. But that's not how this system, this DNA system works. In reality, each button also changes what all the other buttons do. (laughs) And the order that you press the buttons changes what the other buttons do. So you think you have something figured out that, oh, okay, we know that this button does this and we've done the testing and we've, we've, and it, we've shown it works in several different animals and, but it's infinitely more complex than that. And that's, that's kind of what I was thinking the whole time while I was reading this first, while I was reading the first part of his book, you know, it's like, wow, this is really interesting. His theory on aging, but you know, very far reaching consequences that will take decades to suss out. And then the second half of his book is like, we should start rolling these out because science to everyone, you know, no problems. So that's my review of the book. You probably don't have to read it now, I guess, uh, unless you're really interested. And really only the first part is interesting. Uh, the second part, you could just listen to a Ted talk from Bill Gates and you'd get the exact gist of, of what it says. So, uh, I did really enjoy learning about this stuff though, and sharing it. The whole experience with the NADIV, that was kind of serendipitous. It was nuts. I was testing out NMN and reading this book. And I ran into someone at one of the stores I service who just told me like they were doing NADIVs and wanted to know if I was interested. It was just, it was kind of a freaky coincidence. And I'm very thankful to that person for uh, giving me that opportunity. Uh, Reading the book also reminded me of an experience that I had when I worked at Healthy Habit back in the day. So back in the day, I would collect these treatments like they were baseball cards. Um, or something like that. You know, I would listen very closely to what customers said. And once in a while, they would say something like, oh, you know, I had cataracts, but this certain eye dropped worked to fix it. And I would collect these little tidbits so that when someone else came into the door, I would have an answer that they were looking for if they had that same problem. And I actually was able to help a lot of people who came into the door. It was really exciting uh, when somebody had an issue that I had collected a trick for or a supplement for or something. It was great. Now, one of those things in my collection was from a guy who told me about his experience with resveratrol. Uh, He said he'd read, you know, some of the same stuff I've been talking about, about extending life. Uh, So he started taking a decent dose every day. And at first he was hopeful that it would make him younger, (laughs) but it it went wrong pretty fast. He developed uh, terrible arthritis. He developed muscle pain to the point where it it was painful to do much with his body. So he went off resveratrol and he thought maybe it'll go away. It didn't go away. He still had it. He was stuck in this living hell of pain 
until he could figure out some kind of solution. So he experimented and he eventually found that the non-flush vitamin B3, niacinamide, it slowly started to take his pain away. And after a couple of weeks of taking it, he was back to normal again. And so he told me this story and I'll always remember when he told me that because I thought this was so strange, you know, but it was also really compelling because of how stark the contrast was. He went from an invalid to functioning again. So I, I put that little piece of knowledge into the back of my brain, uh, this connection that that is between resveratrol and B3, which is an NAD booster, and and I didn't forget that. So along comes David Sinclair, and he's saying that NAD precursors are the fuel that resveratrol is going to use to roll back the clock. And I thought, wow, that how strange. These two things, which experientially I saw a connection between, that there might be a scientific you know, connection between them. So part of my theory on this is that let's assume resveratrol has some type of anti-aging benefit. Uh, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, although I think there are serious concerns with it and you probably shouldn't use it. I wouldn't take it. There's other ways to boost sirtuins, but whatever. Let's just put all that aside. Say it's anti-aging. Well, I think that some people may need more NAD and some people may need more sirtuins. So if you take resveratrol when you don't need resveratrol, those sirtuins that it stimulates gobble up the NAD you have in your system and bad things happen to you. If you take NAD precursors when you already have lots of NAD in your system, well, maybe it affects your sleep. Maybe you get other kinds of problems. So for people with too much NAD, they need to take resveratrol. And for people with too much sirtuin activity, they need to take NAD. That That is a theory of how you could approach these supplements. You could try them and see which made you feel better, more balanced, gave you energy without downsides. But I would say just avoid resveratrol. You know, Find other ways to boost sirtuins. I tried resveratrol about a year ago when it was recommended on a microbiome report. And my notes on it say... Makes me so angry, I cannot even think. Niacin makes this go away. <laughs> so uh, with that glowing experience, I thought I would try it again for this podcast. Maybe it would feel different while I was taking NMN. Long story short, it did not make me feel good. Um, I took a much smaller amount, but I noticed I was angry and frustrated on it. My brain power was reduced. I had a hard time understanding things I was reading on the computer, which coincidentally is basically the opposite effect of the NAD IV. So there is some relationship there between those two, which is really interesting. Anyway, I think I'll uh, wrap this show up here. This is definitely longer than I usually go, uh, but I, I hope it was good. If, if you made it this far, you know, leave a comment on YouTube. Tell me about your experience with NMN or NAD IVs. I'll have a couple bottles of NMN or NR in my recommended products page on uh, the website. So you could always click those to help me out if you want, if you're going to try this stuff. And uh, yeah, you can email me with any questions at quackspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, folks. <laughs>